Good morning, y'all. Welcome back to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. I'm your host, Nico Barraza. As a reminder to all of you out there, I work with individuals, couples, and athletes from all ages in one-on-one online coaching. Head over to www.nicobarraza.com to inquire more or book an appointment. I will throw that in the show notes so you can get to the link easy. And this week, we have a very close friend of mine, Dr. Beth Dupree. She is on as a guest for her first time on Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. Super excited to have Beth on, uh, mostly because since we just launched the MAPS episode last week, Dr. Dupree is actually about to graduate from the California Institute for Integral Studies in March of 2022 with her certificate in psychedelic-assisted therapies research. This is sort of just serendipitously working out. Um, I didn't plan these two episodes to launch back-to-back, but it just sort of happened that Natalie's interview aligned with Best Interview, and here we are. So we have back-to-back sort of psychedelic-focused episodes, although uh, my conversation with Dr. Dupree is really about her um, experience as a healthcare provider, why she went to med school, a little bit of her story, and, you know, why she's passionate about psychedelic medicine. And, um, you know, as, as someone who's been practicing as a physician and a breast cancer surgeon, and not just practicing, she's become a world-around breast cancer surgeon where people fly from all over. Um, she's given speeches, her book sold all over the, the world as well. And, you know, why would someone like this, you know, get into psychedelic therapies? It's incredible to hear. Dr. Beth Dupree has been an innovative thought leader in breast cancer care nationally and internationally. Her passion to empower healing in her patients on their cancer journey has led her to a new phase of her career. She has shifted her focus from the operating room to becoming medical advisor to innovative companies focused on aspects of survivorship, post-operative pain management, generalized mental wellness to groundbreaking psychedelic therapies are current areas of her focus. She will receive her certificate in psychedelic assisted therapies research from the California Institute for Integral Studies in March of 2022. She will also complete her MAPS Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies certification as well. Dr. Dupree received her medical degree from Hahnemann University in Philadelphia in 1987, has written a book entitled The Healing Consciousness, A Doctor's Journey to Healing. It is the true story of her journey as a surgeon who awakens to the healer that resides within her. Proceeds from the book are donated to the Healing Consciousness Foundation, a nonprofit organization Dr. Dupree founded in 2007 to fund holistic and wellness therapies for women and men living with breast cancer diagnosis. Dr. Dupree is also a master-level Reiki practitioner who strongly urges patients to integrate healing therapies, whether it is through yoga, meditation, life coaching, Reiki, massage, grief counseling, exercise programs, reflexology, integrative nutritional counseling, or lifestyle modification. She believes that whatever it takes to help a person find healing and peace within their heart should be an integral part of their treatment process. She has attained board certification in integrative medicine that enhances her ability to care for the whole patient on their cancer journey. She has been a frequent expert on NBC Nightly News and the Today Show. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you all uh, with my good friend, Dr. Beth Dupree. So no more waiting. Let's get to the show. Dr. Beth Dupree on the show. Um, I've met this wonderful woman probably two and a half years ago now, nearly two and a half years ago, uh, when I was working with the healthcare system that she was with. And um, she was my first sort of video. I actually think 
It was twenty. It was twenty nineteen, yeah. wasn't? It? When did it, you start? It with was NIH? May of twenty nineteen. Because you met me on your first day. I, I met day. you, yeah, basically yeah. the first week, yeah, basically. Um, she, you know, I, I was sent down to Sedona, Arizona, where uh, her practice uh, was, and and we were gonna film, or we were filming some stuff with her. And um, first thing I noticed was uh, how compassionate and em empathetic this woman was with her patients, and also that uh, the curse words were plentiful in the office, which which I found very amusing um, because she was a, a but I didn't say it on tape. Not though. on tape. I didn't say it on but tape. But I will say, like, I think no. the thing I appreciated is how real of a person you were. You know, I didn't get this like elitist Thank doctor you. vibe when I walked in there, even though I had heard so much about you because, uh, you know, you've been a, a nationally, if not world famous, breast cancer surgeon. You know, people come from all over to basically be treated by you. And we're going to get into why. Um, and uh, you are a person, uh, I think like myself, that you have your hands in a lot of pots. You are a, a sort of lifelong achiever, go-getter. Um, you know, I know your husband, Joe, can attest where you are never not doing something, I think. Um, yeah, I, know. I think relax, relaxation True. is a word that you probably struggle with. And, and that's why, uh, you know, when you, when you take time for yourself, I think it's incredible because you are always, Jay, there's Joe. there he is, there's Joe. There's Joe um, you, on my, uh, on my sparkling water. You are always uh, giving to other people. You know, you are always concerned with, with helping others, which, which I can deeply, which I do deeply resonate with. Um, so let's introduce yourself, Beth. Like, how did you get into being a surgeon? I mean, I've obviously read your book. I know you really well, but for the listeners, you know, how did you become the breast cancer surgeon you are? And tell us about where you are today because things have changed even in the past year or two quite a bit. So it goes back to, uh, I was born in York, Pennsylvania, which is a small town in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, I'm the seventh of seven kids. Uh, my parents were married for oh, 60, almost 70 years. My mom passed away recently from Alzheimer's. My dad is 93 and the mayor of his retirement community. And um, for um, all of my childhood, I always told everybody I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I wasn't, you know, exactly mm -hmm. why. Um, went through my formidable years, uh, kind of with college and med school, you know, in the future. And uh, my senior year of high school, my brother was killed by a drunk driver, which completely derailed everything as a 17 year old. There's nothing, um, there's nothing to prepare you for that kind of loss, particularly, um, it, it wasn't just the loss for me and my sisters. It was being the only child in the home of parents who were so bereft with grief. Um, and that whole last year of my high school uh, time was completely, I, I don't remember a thing. It, it was like, it's a total blur. I'm surprised I graduated. Um, I went to University of Pittsburgh, played varsity tennis there, um, spent my sophomore year at the University of Hawaii, got my pilot's license while I was there because my brother was a pilot, so I was trying to heal that loss. Um, came back from Hawaii, went to medical school in Philadelphia, and uh, went to Hahnemann, which is now Drexel, and then moved up Broad Street to Albert Einstein Medical Center to do my surgical residency. And I actually met my husband, Joe, at Hahnemann, and um, we, we will be married 35 years this May. And we have two amazing boys, uh, Tom and Dean, who are 31 and 25, who are like my world. I adore my kids. And they're, they're both engineers. They're both very spiritual. 
um, and uh, lived in suburban Philadelphia for a long time, practicing as practicing as a general surgeon. Eventually, limited my practice to breast cancer care, and through multiple events that happened in my friends' lives, you know, cancers, um, ALS, brain tumors, um, it 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 kind of catapulted me on a very um, rapid and uh, succinct spiritual path to try to make some sense out of what was happening. Cause as doctors, we think we can fix things and uh, you can't fix when you can't fix your friends as a physician and you can't heal your friends or cure them of their diseases. It makes you take a different look at things. So um, we all got involved in Reiki, which is Japanese energy healing. And I continued with my general surgery practice limited to breast care. And um, as a breast care specialist started um, you know, I've kind of stepped out of the box because I left a hospital, which was very secure and went and built a freestanding healthcare facility in 2007 in Ben Salem, Comprehensive Breast Care Institute. It was a great idea. It was, we had a giant um, seven circuit labyrinth in the, uh, in the center. Um, we were working to treat patients with not just Western medicine, but also Eastern healing modalities. Um, and started at that point training in some other integrative medicine aspects. And in 2008, when the economy tanked, like with everybody, unfortunately, we um, the hospital closed in the early 2009. Huge, you know, plummet of everything. Your mind, emotion, mind, body, spirit, everything, you know, goes in the toilet because you believe in something so much, and to see it fail was not easy. But um, out of failure comes some of the greatest successes. I uh, then switched to a different hospital, Holy Redeemer Health System, which I love, and my very dear friends are all still practicing there. And uh, took that health center and was able to get it accredited uh, within a year by the National Accreditation of Breast Programs. Uh, built a very uh, big and robust program that um, was actually, it just became part of MD Anderson because of the quality of care that we provided there. And so we were a community hospital competing with the um, giant hospitals in Philadelphia uh, for patient care. And patients came to us because we had uh, kind of branded ourselves as being that integrative um, and holistic program where myself and my partners all did our certifications in integrative medicine. We had a yoga studio in our office. We had um, integrative treatment rooms in our office and um, kind of had the tiger by the tail and have had a lifelong passion and love for Sedona and came out here to Sedona in 2016 on vacation and, you know, a random email and just kind of starting to look for properties turned into uh, the purchase of the house I'm sitting in right now um, and shifting my practice to an area where I really felt there was need. There were no breast surgeons out here. And I kind of had this calling, like I needed to come and take care of this community that I knew I wanted to retire in someday. So came to Sedona in 2017 and um, have continued doing all of the integrative aspects of, of breast cancer care. I, you know, prior to COVID, I would travel to teach and speak at least once or twice a month, um, you know, all over the country, Russia, India, England, um, you know, you name it, China. Um, and uh, so now 
after four years of being in practice in Sedona, it, it's been, it took a toll. Um, being a solo practitioner is not easy. Um, definitely had aspects of burnout, but I now look at everything that happened here in Sedona to me right now um, took me to the path of where I am right at this moment, which is um, I resigned my position with the health system here in, as of December 1st. Um, not sure if I'm going back to surgery or not. I just am taking a break for the winter and I'll kind of rethink it. But um, I got really involved in mental and emotional wellness. And those aspects of healthcare are so underserved. So um, that's kind of where I got to today. And uh, that's it in a very 10-minute nutshell. That's my life. We're, so I guess we're done. <laughs> we're done. No, we're going to get into it. Um, so... One of the things you say a lot, because uh, for everyone that's listening, I sp I've spent hours and days with Dr. Dupree. Um, I consider her a very close uh, person to me and, and as her, her husband as well, and everyone she's introduced me to, you know. Um, but one of the things you say quite a bit that I, that I find really profound is that you've been a, a breast cancer surgeon for a long time now. You're a veteran in the field. And uh, I think this is one of the first conversations we had um, but you, you've repeated it a couple of times, you, you consistently say mental health is the biggest cancer that we face as a species in the world. Because you know you look at all the different types of cancers and the amount of sort of deaths they cause, and you've brought up how critical mental, emotional, and even spiritual health are to the health of the human being, and how that is sort of the biggest cancer plaguing humanity. And then you go, you, you went even as far to say, um, you know, when you're dealing with actual patients that have physical uh, breast cancer, you, you say that you can cut out the physical cancer, but you have to heal the entire person, right? You say that a lot. And that's why it's so incredible that you um, practice these integrative modalities with the physical surgery and, and radiology and all these other things. Like you are very strict with like getting someone on healthy diet, getting them an exercise program, getting them to connect with, you know, whatever sort of spirituality, like a greater purpose, a greater sense of self, community of women uh, or men, you know, that they can support each other in this healing journey which I don't find often in medicine. It's usually like, okay, I did my job as a surgeon, I'm done. What what puts you on that path to be so unique in the way you approach and use Western medicine in alignment with other areas of medicine that are probably more, you know, um, older or ancient? I think what's really started me on the original path of healing, um, my, my mom was, my mom was a caregiver kind of person. She was, my sisters and I called her a martyr, but mom was really someone who, um, she just did whatever she could for anybody to help them. And that, that level of compassion and care, I think is probably in my DNA. And even when I trained as a surgeon, I couldn't just, you know, let a patient sit there scared because I was the surgeon and I was supposed to be acting really cool in the other room and, and not talk to them. Um, I, I always had that. I, I got that during my surgical residency. I spent a lot of time and energy in connecting with patients because um, I could feel the fear that they had. And we can cut out cancer, we can cut out disease, but you know, Western medicine doesn't cut out fear. And it's that fear that paralyzes people. And watching my friends and colleagues go through um, ALS and, you know, melanoma and metastatic colon cancer and, you know, just the number of patients that I took care of with breast cancer that um, could be physically cured of the cancer, 
but spiritually, mentally, and emotionally bankrupt um, from the process, it, it rips your heart out because you see these patients back over and over again and you're powerless. There's, there's, nothing, there's no tools that Western medicine gave me to deal with that. And so from a personal perspective, it leaves you very hollow. You feel as though you're just, you know, you're in an assembly line and uh, you become a technician. And, you know, that's what happened to me over the last two years. I, I was turned into a technician. Um, I wasn't able to spend the time with the patients. I wasn't able to help them heal. Um, I have a foundation, the Healing Consciousness Foundation, that provides healing services for patients. But patients still need that direct spiritual connection to their provider. They need to know who's taking care of them. And because of that, I um, it, it not only led to patients feeling um, as though they were not um, being, you know, tended to, it also made me feel empty because um, what I give out to my patients, they give back. And I will say when I hug my patients when they're first diagnosed, you know, I'm hugging them to support them through the process. When they come back to the office and they're healthy, whole, and complete, those are hugs that they refilled me with so I could give them to somebody else. And COVID kind of shot that shit to, you know, it was horrible. You couldn't hug your patients. You couldn't get near them. You didn't see their face. They weren't allowed to have their loved ones in the office with them. And so what I knew years ago from learning from my friends going through cancers and disease and by learning from uh, my patients and watching them on their journey to healing, knowing that they needed more on that journey than just an operation because a lot of surgeons operate, see the patients once or twice, and then never see them again. And that's what's really different about breast cancer care because in, in breast cancer care, we see our patients perpetually. We, we follow them up on a six-month basis. And so you're kind of the primary care physician of the breast. And the, I think the stresses of COVID, um, the stress on me of, you know, basically doubling my patient volume because of an unfortunate accident of a colleague, um, all of that left me in a place where um, I didn't even have anything to give myself, let alone my patients. And that is absolute burnout. And that's where you need to take, you know, be honest with yourself and say, listen, this isn't working. I got to I get I need a plan B. Yeah. And so um, I'm in plan B right now. I want to hear more about plan B, but you brought up this point about leadership and not only in healthcare, but in any sort of uh, organization or corporation, right? And um, myself having intimate experience with this healthcare system that you just left, as well as I left uh, before, um, you know, leadership is paramount. Without good leadership and honorable leadership, community, healthy community cannot be built or sustained, right? And I'm curious on, you know, as far as like the overall theme within healthcare within the United States, do you feel that like leaders, the CEOs, the people running healthcare systems, do you think that they always have the best interests in the patients or are they more concerned with money? And how do we go about changing, like how do we go about creating a paradigm shift so that way, you know, people come first over profits with the idea that yes, we need to make money to sustain the business, but also we need right. to serve patients and take care of our physician, nurses, techs, and personnel that are dedicating their lives to help others. Leadership is absolutely key. And in so many healthcare organizations, um, the top tier of leadership are not healthcare providers. Um, they are um, individuals who either have a business or, you know, healthcare 
financial healthcare administration background. And um, I think that uh, I, I, I'm very fortunate because I've been in multiple different health systems. I've seen the best and the worst. And I can tell you that with leadership in a healthcare organization, um, humility, um, there's this aspect called servant leadership. And um, some of the greatest leaders that I have learned from are the best servant leaders. Um, Suzanne Foster, who you've met, she was in the healthcare care with me. She is the president of Cardinal Health. One of the greatest leaders that I've ever had the pleasure of, um, you know, she's someone who, when I was going through a physician leadership course, I chose her as, you know, the person that I want to lead like. And um, my, my health system, Holy Redeemer on the East Coast, where I still sit on the board, um, the leaders there are, they, they, they're, they're very mission and purpose driven. They're, they have a, they have the values of the Catholic church, whether you're religious or not, it's still, they're, they're amazing values for, to care, comfort and heal. And, um, those values show up in every meeting with, you know, starting a meeting with a safety story or a mission story or a, a vision story, something that actually shares with everyone in that meeting either something they can learn from, from a safety story or a feel good story about something that was done well. And um, that was something that was a complete shift when I came to Arizona. I, um, although I I tried to bring it up and make it as a suggestion, um, that's a cultural difference. And there's, there are different cultures in healthcare. And um, I think that healthcare uh, management and delivery, particularly over the past two years has been very challenging because when COVID hit, hospitals just were losing revenue. They didn't know that the government was going to be able to recompensate them and pay them back for um, what they had, what, what they were losing on the um, revenue. But, you know, hospitals that have very narrow margins, I think that the, the administrators are in a position where um, a lot of times I think they're doing, they think that they're doing the best that they can, but I don't believe that they always see how their actions and their words are interpreted and felt by the physicians, the nurses, and everyone downstream. And I think that level of self-awareness is something that that I have seen in servant leaders who will spend time in the hospitals and spend time with um, different people in the organization to be able to learn, you know, what they need from the organization as well. And, you know, we, we live in, we're, we're medically isolated in Northern Arizona. You know, it's, it's one hospital, um, it's one hospital system. So in medical isolation, there's no competition and, um, and it makes it, uh, it makes it tough. But for me, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't an environment that, that I could make work any longer. I completely understand that. And I think for people that aren't in the healthcare industry can probably relate to sort of, you know, serving or operating under poor leadership versus great leadership. And, and the two are distinctly noticeable, you know, after you spend time with people, um, I think self-awareness is a, a I mean, thing. I had, I had six different people as chief operating officer of the same hospital, Verde Valley in my four year, four and a half years or five years. Cause I, I did some consulting before I came to look at how the program needed to be built. So, um, that kind of instability in the C-suite, um, makes it really tough. And I think that 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 in and of itself um, speaks volumes about the um, tumultuous nature of 
of healthcare delivery yeah. right now. Yeah, I think it's a it's a microclimate for the the greater larger climate of, of healthcare as a whole in the West, specifically in the United States. Um, let's talk about. But I learned a lot. I, I know, and I you're still learning. Lot. Let's talk about your Plan B, um, because not many um, surgeons, physicians of your caliber find themselves in uh, the realm of psycho assisted, psychedelic assisted therapy, um, not to mention you were in the first cohort, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first cohort. No, it's not okay, the first second cohort. cohort. It's one of no. the first cohorts. No, they, they, they're, I think they've graduated a few years, okay. but it's not a lot of years. It's CIA. Right. So, yeah. so one of the first iterations of the Center for Integrative Studies, is that the? It's the, it's, it's, um, CIS stands for California Institute of Integral okay, Studies. Okay, California Institute of Integral Studies. And it's, yeah. a, it's, and it's a CPTR, the Certificate in Psychotherapeutic Research right. um, Certificate. So um, you got you got to rewind this a second, though, because that just like right now someone's a surgeon in psychedelics and they're going, what the hell? Um, so rewind that back to my, my main focus on my patients is okay. healing. Uh, we do, my, my foundation provides healing services for patients, Reiki, massage, counseling, um, guided imagery, all, all, you know, nutritional counseling, all kinds of stuff. We do these retreats where, um, and I just had a conversation about this last night, which made me stay up late because the, the people that were on the call just, I don't think they heard what I was talking about. Because when, when you speak of things that are not in total alignment with, with traditional Western medicine, you know, their, their eyes pop out and they grow a second head and everybody goes crazy. So um, we've been doing these healing retreats since 2010. And amazing things have come out of them. I mean, just amazing healings. And and um, I know you know the Viber guide, the nutrition guide that I give to my patients. Uh, that guide came out of that very first retreat. Vicki Barboot, he's the he's the founder of Viber Health. Um, she was there with a bald head, drained, having had mastectomies, post chemo with two little kids at home. And I didn't even treat her as a doctor. She came from Memorial Sloan Kettering, but she was a friend of a friend. She came to that retreat. And afterwards said, how do I get involved? How, what can I do to help? And brought back, you know, I, we were going to do a cookbook called Health Cooking for Life. We were in the process of putting cooking classes together to help our patients learn how to eat a healthy diet, how to prepare food for the week for their families. Anyway, out of that sprung Vicky's business, Viber Health, which is a totally evidence-based uh, nutrition guide. And, and you know Jody Hutchinson, Jody and Vicky write these amazing guides and, and, you know, I, I really feel like they're spiritually guided because Jody has like a direct connection from God, I swear. But um, Vicki was going to help do the cookbook, shows up with like 200 peer reviewed articles on nutrition. I'm like, dumb it down, sister. Like no one's going to read that. So she turned it into a Viber guide. So that integrative piece of nutrition came out of that first retreat. We've done a lot of retreats since then. And in the last retreat that we did prior to COVID in 2018, we introduced shamanic breath work, which um, I, prior to that, I hadn't had a lot of uh, knowledge about it. Um, shamanic breath work, holotropic breath work, are, they are modalities that can be used where you use your breath to get into a, an entheogenic state or into a state of consciousness where you can go deep inside yourself. Um, and, you know, there were some of the women that came to that, to that retreat that said, I'm not going to do it. In the end, they all ended up doing it, and 15 out of 15 said it was the most profound experience of the retreat. They all, you know, on a scale of one to five, there were ratings anywhere from 100 to 1,000 because everybody just 
it knocked the ball out of the park and it was a transformational experience. And I had done something similar um, years ago down in uh, at Mirabelle with uh, Dr. Tim Frank. I did spirit flight, which was, it was, uh, you know, a ceremonial drumming and you literally get out of your own way. So it's kind of like it takes you out of your head and into your heart so you can actually do the healing. So I knew that that breath work was really, really powerful. Um, and I knew that that had to be an aspect of what we moved forward with with patients because that breath work cut out a lot of the shit that was left there that I couldn't cut out with a scalpel. And in 2019, um, I was preparing a lecture for Healthy Words to Don. I was given a lecture on uh, uh, lifestyle modification for risk reduction. And during the process, I was pulling off slides on the internet and I pulled up Michael Pollan's book, um, How Not to, um, no, not how, how, to, not change how not to Die. That's, that's Michael Gregor's. How to change, no, no, no. I pulled up um, Food okay. Rules because Food Rules is the book that has all the pictures. And at the same time, the little window was open with the blue cl- with the blue sky and the white clouds with his new book that had just come out like six months earlier, How to Change Your Mind. And I thought, I love this author. I hit my audible credit and holy shit, I'm driving to work listening to this book going, this dude's talking about LSD like it's okay. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to spell psilocybin in 2019 and I did not know that psilocybin was a magic mushroom. I did not know that MDMA was ecstasy. Like I, I am like the product. I don't smoke marijuana. Like I, I was, I'm very anti, I'm pretty conservative straight laced when it comes to this stuff. So this is the, this is that disconnect that a lot of people are like, what the hell? Anyway, um, I read his book and I was blown away, um, blown away to the point that I pulled every paper from it. You know, Bill Richards, who did the pivotal research on cancer patients at end of life from Johns Hopkins, showing that, you know, that their, their entheogenic experience. And I like to use the word entheogen because People, psychedelics have a stigma to it. It kind of has the war against, um, you know, drugs stigma, the, you know, the Nixon and the, and the uh, who was the actor, Reagan. Uh, like they, they, they like made it a dirty word. And, but the, the term entheogen means having that experience, that, that spiritual um, experience where you, you're literally um, allowed to see the collective consciousness of the world. And so whether you're doing it with breath work, whether you're doing it with fasting, whether you're doing it in, in deep meditation, um, what these what these medicines were doing was it was helping to remove the barriers so that that person and that individual could go to a deeper place of healing. And so for cancer patients at end of life, what a gift. Um, and reading their stories and listening to, you know, th- there are a lot of movies and videos and, um, you know, stuff that's been done about this. It is absolutely mind blowing when you see the changes that those, those drugs can make. And so much so that, you know, I did, I did do a, um, a drumming experience and a breath work, um, that completely shifted my brain, um, from, you know, I, I was able to see how many imposters were in my life and how many people were not being honest and, and truthful with me about, um, things in, in a lot of different realms. Um, and it was to the point where I was like, okay, I'm in, I got to learn more about this. So then I started Googling, you know, psychedelic training. And I didn't really know at the time that there were programs, but uh, um, I actually just interviewed for another program today called uh, Synthesis 
out of the Netherlands, which is a very cool program. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, finding CIIS, um, which I have, I have one interview to do yet. I have a one-hour session with my mentor and a little uh, journey next week, which we'll talk about. Um, and then I can complete my – I will have my certification complete, and I will be a, have a certificate in um, for psychedelic therapy uh, research. And my goal with this is, you know, what it's like once you – you know, once you, once you taste the sweetness of this level of healing, I'm not going back to sour. Like I can't, I may go back to surgery, but I'll go back to surgery differently where, um, one of the companies I'm working with, um, that gateway sciences, uh, is starting, they have a ketamine clinic in Santa Monica, California. We're going to open one in Sedona. And until I did my training in psychedelics, I never knew that ketamine could be used to treat depression. Like, in, in the OR, as a surgeon, we were always told to avoid ketamine in adults because if you give ketamine to an adult, they might wake up with a bad dream. Well, that bad dream is their childhood shit. Like, that bad dream is where they went to that is something that probably needs to be healed. And so I kind of had this epiphany where I said, could you imagine if we give ketamine like an hour or two preoperative to surgery? So before you open up someone's body, you open up their heart with the ketamine. You do the surgery, they recover. A week later, you do another session with full psychotherapeutic inter- you know, um, integration. And that's going to be one of our first clinical trials. And uh, Clay Keller, who's the CEO of Gateway, he's like, he can't wait to do this because he's already seen the, he's already seen the effects in the ketamine clinic that he has open in California. And he and I met through another connection, but the synergy of everything that's happening with this you can't make this shit up. Like, you know, this is, you know, when the universe can, you know, when you, when you're following your heart's passion, the universe brings what you need in front of you. And my favorite quote from the alchemist, uh, follow your heart's passion. The universe conspires in your favor. And once I let go of that thing of being a surgeon, it's not an ego thing. It's just that I'm a fucking good surgeon. Excuse my French, but I think I'm allowed to swear on here because it's a podcast, you right? You could be you. Okay, good. So, okay. But, I'm a really good, I'm a really good technical surgeon. I don't mean that that's not a, that's not an ego thing. It's just, I'm well-trained. I'm very careful. Um, I love what I did as a surgeon, but something was missing. And now I'm realizing what was missing is there's so much more that we can do because our health is our greatest of wealth, but our mental health has to come before everything else because you cannot get physically healthy. You will never get in shape. You're never going to eat well. You're never going to do those other things. If you're psychologically not in a place where, you know, where your heart and your brain are communicating, and this is a very long distance, this 18 inches between your head and your heart has to connect. And the only way to connect is to really, really, really be in a place where there's peace in your heart when you think about your life, where there's passion um, and there's something burning in your soul that you're going after. And that's what I'm doing now. And I, you know, as difficult as these last four years have been out here in Sedona, I really believe that if I had stayed in the East Coast where it was very, listen, it was very comfortable. Everybody knew me. I was Philly tough docs every year and, and like patients came out of the woodwork and they came from all over the place. And, you know, I, you know, I had partners that took call and I wasn't responsible all the time. And I was a vice president of the hospital, had a great gig. 
And everybody's like, why would you leave where you have everything, like your queen of the castle, to go someplace where literally there was nothing here when I got here? But it, 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 I had to have this experience. And I know that now. It's like I had to have, you know, people discount difficulties and adversities in their life. But that is when your soul grows. That is when, at that moment, you're, you're giving yourself the nourishment that your soul needs because without that, you're just kind of cruising along in life and everything's easy breezy. And uh, so that is how I ended up um, at CIIS. And um, I sent you my final mm-hmm. paper, I think. Did I you did. read it? Did I you did like, like it? it? What did you think? I think it was great. Am I going to pass? I, yeah. I, I, would, I would give you a pass. Yeah, I think it was. It was. Uh, it was. Um, I think groundbreaking for you know a an MD, someone that went through traditional medical school, to be thinking that way. You know, I mean, you've you've been this person for years now, but it's just it's incredible to see like that growth in you know someone who was taught in in Western um, you know society. The thing with you though is you're you're never a follow the person just because they said so, you know, I mean, your, your brain doesn't do that. It, it really is so analytical that you're like, you know, what is the best path path forward for my patients, for myself? And I'm not just going to like go based off this textbook or this class. I'm actually going to do due diligence and research and see what the best. And, and I think that, that ability, like your ability to sort of deduce reasoning that way is why you found sort of psychedelic assisted therapy, because you started this conversation with being like, how do I help my patients heal, you know, like completely, not just cut out the cancer. And that's led you here. And I, and I have to agree, like you're meant to be in Sedona, you know, I mean, you needed to be there oh, I know. and Sedona needed you too. And, and so does Northern Arizona, but honestly, everyone does. And I think that you, this work that you're doing and the work that you're about to do as, as I think these different sort of plant medicines. It's so yeah, much bigger. It, it's so than much cancer. bigger. This yeah. is, this is, and, and now that everyone's just gone through COVID, and you look at the social isolation, you look at kids that haven't seen faces for two years, you look at people that were um, held up in their house that have lived in fear of a freaking virus. And I mean, it's like we, we are, we are so, people are so paralyzed with fear right now. Um, this is the perfect time for organizations like MAPS and CIS and, and um, Synergy to be able to, for synthesis, to bring this work to the forefront. And it's why, you know, when I, like when I met Clay with Gateway, I knew instantly that that was a path that I was destined to take. And I met him for a reason at that time, because um, there are a lot of people that look at me and they go, why are you giving, you're like an awesome surgeon. Why Why are you, you know, putting your surgical career to the back burner you know, for like to, to delve into psychedelics. I'm like, this isn't delving into psychedelics. This is taking um, proven, proven therapies like MDMA, psilocybin. I mean, these, there's more data on these tech, on these, um, on these uh, therapeutic modalities than almost, I can't even believe that we're still not there where we, where they're legal in a clinical setting, you know, and this is not, I am not like for legalization of, you know, all of these drugs. This is not what this is about. This isn't about saying, Hey, listen, it's okay for people to go drop acid and drive their car down the street. This is about saying these entheogens have, and I, I'm particularly, I have to say, I, I am particularly biased. I, I love the plant medicines. I am, I mean, I'm very, you know, I have my little peyote cactus here um, that was made by the Hoko Indians in Mexico. And they don't usually make these, 
but they happened to have one that day that I was there. And I said, do you happen to have a peyote cactus? And they were very sweet. They didn't speak English. And that's why I'm working on my Spanish. Um, but I, you know, peyote and ayahuasca and psilocybin and ibogaine. I mean, we have, we have gifts from God that grow out of the earth that are, that have the ability in a ceremonial or clinical setting. So when I say ceremonial, I'm talking about so many of these um, entheogens have been used in other cultures, which um, they, they have been part of their, uh, their cultural and spiritual heritage forever. These are plant medicines that when used in ceremony, when used in the appropriate set and setting, and that's something that, you know, a lot of, you know, I didn't, before I did my training, I didn't understand the importance of set and setting. The set, for anyone who doesn't know, is you have to set that intention. You have to have that, you know, that that intention for as you go into this journey. Um, what your what your what like what's your why? Why are you going in there? And and hold that, and somebody has to hold that intention for you. And then the right setting, it has to be safe. It has to be at a place where number one, you can't have any contraindications to the med, to the plant medicines, and then you have to have someone be there with you as as a sitter and it's not a guide. And this is something else. Like I used to, when people say, Oh, we're going to, they, they're going on a guided psilocybin journey. It's like, now that I know what I know, if somebody's guiding somebody, they're not letting that person, that person's journey is their journey. And the person that's there is sitting with them as their sitter to be there as their, as their safety net, as their someone holding that sacred space for them. And, and then post, you know, post journey, it's that integration piece about saying, okay, so you might've seen some bright lights and pretty colored cactuses that danced in the rainbows with you, but what does it all mean? And what do you bring to the other side? And that's where the psychedelic assisted therapy that maps and, um, and uh, CIIS, we're, we're, we're really trying to get this to a place where the data and the science are so strong and that there are tried and true ways to go through this process that it's safe, that it can become accepted by uh, as a standard of Western medicine, and that we can stop, you know, polluting a lot of people's brains with um, antidepressants and anxiolytics and sleepers when what they really need is to help heal their stuff. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be kind of our, you know, our traditional focus has been treating the symptoms. And you know your your focus as a surgeon has, has been at least from my perspective on always treating the actual root cause of problems within people. You know, which I think should be any sort of healer's sort of actual ethos. But it's hard when you live in a system that really has a pill for every problem, but not a pill for every root. Oh yeah. You know, um, and so you. My sister, my sister's going through this right now with right. her thyroid. The, the endocrinologist says, "Well, take these two pills. Your blood pressure will come down, and your thyroid hormone mm -hmm. comes down." And, you know, when we ran an Epstein bar on her and it's off the charts and she asked the doctor, she says, well, what, what, what do I do about that? And she's like, I don't know anything about that. This is an endocrinologist for yeah. God's sake. So like, this is someone who specializes that there, where Western medicine has gotten so focused on treating symptoms. We're not functional medicine is about going back to the root cause. And that's, that's what I really, you know, got as my greatest gift out of integrative medicine is you've got to go back and find out the root cause of something, or it's just going to keep resurfacing over and over again. In cancer, I call it the soil and the seed. Your body is the soil. Cancer is the seed that grew in the breast. I can cut out that breast cancer, 
But if we don't change the soil, that cancer or a new seed can regrow. And that soil is nutrition and um, meditation and exercise and spirituality. And to me, it is healing these early childhood traumas. It's healing these life traumas. It's, it's about unpacking the baggage that people bring into cancer and allowing them to do that deep healing because um, it's, it's all that stress we put on our bodies that is the nidus for disease or dis-ease, whichever you want to say. Most definitely. Let's, you brought up your own journey. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about like your, your plans? Cause I'm, I'm curious because you know, what are like, you have one more sort of, uh, I guess interview, right. For this process, um, with, uh, with the graduate school based at San Francisco, are you going to like, do they facilitate your own journey where you can experience this? Like, how does that work? So, um, with CIIS, um, you also, we also did MAPS training, which is multi, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic uh, Studies, which has pretty much been um, very much focused on MDMA and PTSD, and the work they do is freaking awesome. Um, in order to be certified to get the MAPS certification along with CIIS, you have to have a, you have to have, for, to, to qualify for Part C, you have to have your own personal entheogenic experience, which means and it's got to be done in a legal setting. And, you know, it's one of the things like I, I was lucky because I was like the, I was like the psychedelic virgin um, and neophyte. You know, a lot of my classmates have had other experiences, which was what brought them to that process. Um, but uh, I was either going to have to go to Amsterdam and do truffles or I was going to have to go to Mexico um, and do peyote, which, you know, peyote is very sacred in the, in the Native American culture. So like you don't and this is about, you know, cultural appropriate like you don't want to. You got to do it in a way that you're honoring the culture and the people. And so anyway, a long story short, um, through um, the reality of truth, I watching that documentary, I learned about um, this guy, Jerry Powell, and this place called Rhythmia. And uh, so much, I, I, I liked the whole idea of it. And I knew that I had to have an experience to get my certification. So even before I started my um, class last April, I tried, we tried to, you know, scheduled to go there in last March, but it didn't work. Um, but Rhythmia then was featured in a um, fabulous docu-series called Psychedelics Revealed that uh, Patrick Gentempo and Jeff Hayes did, which was, if anybody, it's an amazing series. If you're interested in psychedelics, it's, uh, it's like a nine-part series, and it's absolutely wonderful. Um, but they did a whole thing on Rhythmia, and um, actually I've had some of my colleagues here in Northern Arizona um, whose family members um, have gone there and just raved about it. So I was supposed to be there last, uh, the 7th of January, um, but COVID kind of hit us over the holidays. So I, we leave on uh, Saturday night for an overnight flight uh, to go to Rhythmia to do four days of ayahuasca ceremony. And um, ayahuasca is, uh, I know you're like shaking your head because you're like, you're going for the big mother of them all. Um, but I, I, I'm, a big, I'm a go big or go home kind of person. So um uh, we're going down there because I need to do it in a legal setting. I need to do it in a setting where there is integration. Um, and we have to have more than eight hours experience with it. And, and, um, I know you talked about that on your last podcast, but, uh, yes, I am, I am very, very fortunate that I'm able to afford to do something like that. But one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing is we need to be able to make, um, healing available for everybody. Um, you know, not, it, it this is not about just, 
taking care of wealthy people with mental illness. This is about really, you know, coming in and, uh, and helping, you know, the Native American culture, helping um, underprivileged and underserved communities. And so this is my first step and I'm taking the big dive into the pool. So uh, I'm not going to be on electronics next week. So you'll have to wait till February 1st to get a recap, but uh, I'm sure you'll be pinging my phone when I land to go, how was it? We are going to have you back on uh, for a mini episode because (laughs) I want to hear about it. If you're, if you're open to share um, because I think, you know, a lot of people would love to hear that, you know, about your own, uh, you know, journey and experience, because no doubt it is going to be a incredibly deep one knowing you. So, um, one of, one of my, uh, colleagues who's an internal medicine doctor back in PA, um, she and my psychic buddy, um, went and did ayahuasca with Freddie Puma. Um, he was in reality of truth down and they went down to Peru. And our plan was for my 60th birthday last year, we were all going to go to Machu Picchu and I was going to do ayahuasca with them down there, which is legal. Um, and, uh, you know, with a, with a shaman healer and, and I'll be with shamans next week as well. And, um, it was such a profound experience for her. And she is like even more conservative than me. Um, she'll be moving to Sedona, I think next year, I hope. Um, but to get to that place where, you know, you're, and a lot, like, I don't, a lot of people are not open about it. They, and people have done this and they, they hide it and they're really afraid to talk about it. And like, this is out there. I'm sorry. Like, you know, this is my coming out party, I guess. Cause, uh, you know, a lot of people still don't know why I left clinical practice. Um, I've, I've kind of, you know, because of COVID and the election and everything, I just, I kind of went dark on social cause it just, it was so negative and I just didn't want to add to it. And I'm very opinionated. And, and I was just, I didn't want to say anything that, you know, going to get me fired. And I was already under the gun for having too much of a personality. So I, I, you know, you were probably watching me on social to make sure that I didn't mess up. For God's sake, I got, I got, na- I got almost nailed for my posting my patient's video dancing into the OR, which totally, uh, you know, it was, it was her dealio. Like I would never ask a patient to do anything, but um, I think that was another gift though. Cause it, it was, it showed, it showed me, the true colors. And if, if someone doesn't trust me to do what's in the best interest of my patients, then we should be working together. So anyway, so next week is going to be interesting. It's I'm, oh, yeah. I'm really excited for you. Honestly, I think this is, it's perfect timing in your life. And I mean, it's meant to, it's meant to be right now, you know, and I'm cu- I'm excited. It's uh it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting, everything about it, you know, just the, you know, we, we've been doing the dieta, so, you know, no alcohol, no caffeine. We gave up on uh, December 27th, which was, that was probably my hardest one because I, I love coffee. And so for Joe and I to, to be off coffee since, we've been off coffee since before New Year's. That's a long time for us. Um, we've been off alcohol, um, getting, you know, avoiding dairy. Um, and, you know, we, we pretty much eat whole food plant-based, you know, the majority of the time. So, um that wasn't really hard, but getting rid of, I mean, I like spicy food, getting rid of, so a lot of people don't understand what the DH is, but it's about getting your body ready for that spiritual experience. And you have to take it seriously, you know, and there's also abstinence from sex, um, which wasn't really making Joe happy, I don't think, but it's part of the deal. You got, you got to do it before and after you like, it's the, you, you read the rules and you, you, you know, we didn't have any medicines to get rid of and stuff. So that was very easy, but I'm kind of a rule follower like that. Just like that's why I'm going to to Costa Rica to do this because 
I'm doing it where it's yep. legal. And uh, I'll, I'll let you know. It, it's going to be interesting. So before we end, I want to know, you know, after this experience, where do you go from here? What is Dr. Beth Dupree do after this? Like, is it the ketamine clinic? Is it getting involved with the clinical trial with psilocybin or MDMA? What, what, you know, is it, is it finishing the second book? Like, you know, what's in your world? God. Okay. So in a rundown, yes. Finishing the second book. Absolutely. And the, my paper is probably going to be at least the first version of the final mm, chapter Love it. of that, of that book. Um, and the book's called Shifting Gears, which is, you know, the, the homage to my dad who made us learn how to drive a stick shift before an automatic, because that's the way you, the world should work. Um, uh, you know that I'm working with a company called Signal Relief, and um, we have a, a patch called Jovi and Signal that are used for menstrual discomfort and generalized uh, musculoskeletal discomfort. And we opened that clinical trial. Um, so if anyone's listening in the Sedona, Flagstaff, or Cottonwood area, um, Dr. It's the, the trial is through Dr. Jason Wesley's office in West Sedona. And tomorrow we will enroll our first three patients in that clinical trial with a creating a path forward through the FDA because it's a non-narcotic um, ability. It's a non-narcotic um, solution to management of chronic discomfort. And so once we get through the FDA, that'll be fabulous. Um, I know you've tried it and it works. And the day you came down to videotape me, you couldn't move your hand and you're like, what the hell is this? So um, it, it works great. I just used it on a friend who had a hip replacement last week. Um, so, um, so signal that's, that's one thing that I'm doing. The other thing, which um, we didn't even touch on today, but we could do a whole show about um, another company I've been working with for almost seven years, uh, developing transcutaneous and, and uh, transcranial stimulation for um, treating our, our product, what we're going to go out with in 2022 is a wellness product called MindVibe, which um, stimulates the vagus nerve and helps to bring a sense of calm. And um, cool thing about that is uh, we're working with uh, Chopra, uh, the Chopra Foundation, and we're going to be going to Lake Nona in February with our 51st kind of uh, our first run of our uh, first generation devices. And that is really cool because we'll be doing clinical trials with that. Um, and then, uh, you know, Gateway Sciences is going to be the, that's going to be the big clinical trial for me for ketamine and psilocybin and early stage breast cancer patients. And um, at the same time, I interviewed for Synthesis today, which is a psychedelic program out of the Netherlands that does group. They, they, they do a lot more work with groups as opposed to CIIS, which was an individual and I can foresee the future of what I do with cancer patients in that retreat process where for now, for the next two years until the, um, the, other, uh, the other substances are legalized, we'll be using holotropic breathwork or shamanic breathwork um, as, our, as part of our experiential process. But um, everything that I'm doing is I'm, I'm going toward a deeper level of healing, you know, with MindVibe, it's getting peace in your heart without a drug that can help people who are dealing with everyday stress. Um, with the the uh, Signal and the Jovi is helping people to alleviate discomfort without narcotics because we have an epidemic of uh, of that. And then with Gateway, sky's the limit because once psilocybin and uh, MDMA and hopefully Ibogaine someday 
um, become legalized for therapeutic intervention. We'll have little push pins all over the world with gateway clinics, and you'll be seeing one in Sedona sooner than later. So, um, and as far as Beth returning to the OR, um, you can ask me that in May when I come back on because I'm giving myself the winter off. I'm, I, I say I'm on parole for good behavior right now because uh, I love to operate, but I, I don't want to go back to surgery where it becomes a, um, it can't be an albatross around my neck. It's got to be something I love and I love surgery. I just, I, I never went into surgery to be a technician. And after two years of being um, treated like a technician and uh, working like a technician, um, can't do it again. Patients need Patients deserve more from me, and I deserve more from the process. Most definitely. I'm willing to bet that Ayahuasca, she will have something to say about your return to the OR um, in your in She your might. So. Mother, uh, yeah, Pachamama, she'll, you know, I, uh, I have a, a, my other very dear friend, Pam Lancaster, who um, did the, the drumming ceremony with, uh, with Tim Frank, her partner. Um, she is, she was, she is Pachamama. Like you, she, she came to life and, uh, and I know that, the, that, that she is going to be very present with me in that ayahuasca mm-hmm. journey because Pam and I have been connected, I think, for multiple past lives. So I anticipate seeing her and Jody there in the, uh, in the ceremony. So if you show up, like I'll, I'll let you know what the deal is. So beautiful. Well, Beth, it's been so great to talk to you. Uh, I know we've wanted to get you on for a while now. I'm definitely going to have you back on after this experience because I want to hear about it. And so I'm sure everyone else does too um, when you're ready, of course. But thank you so much. Um, I'm going to throw a link to everything you mentioned in the show notes. So for anyone that wants to check out anything, I even emailed it to you last night because I was so, did you notice that? So organized. I was trying to be, well, you know, I used to do a radio show called The Medical View East Meets Mm. West. And I used to have to do that for all the shows. So I, I'm trying to be a good, um, I'm trying to be a, uh, a good guest on your show. You made it so easy for me. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Nico, thank you. And uh, I encourage anybody out there who wants to know more, just take a dive into the pool. Um, swim slowly. You know, don't, don't take on water uh, too fast. Uh, for me, it's been now a three-year process um, from that first that first transformative retreat with the, with the breath work. But three years later, um, here we are in, uh, in a whole new world with a, a lot of, uh, a lot of amazing roads to take. And, uh, I'm excited. So there you go. I really want to ask all of you listeners out there, if you could take a couple seconds, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star written review that really helps get the podcast in more eyes, in more ears, um, and just really helps podcasts grow in in every aspect possible. So um, I would really appreciate it if you could pause it, go leave us a five-star written review on Apple, subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts, and turn notifications on so you get notified whenever we launch a new episode.